Welcome to the Mount Zion Wesleyan Church Podcast. We hope this message encourages you, challenges you, and inspires you to step into the life God has for you. For more information about our church, visit us online at mountzionwesleyan.com. Good morning, good morning. How are we doing, church? Good, you look good, you look good. Hey, my name is Pastor Luke. I have the honor of serving as one of the pastors here at Mount Zion, and we are so thrilled that you have joined us for a time of worship and celebration. We do wanna welcome all those that are joining us online across the nation. We love you, and we're so thankful for you as well. Hey, we are in week four of our story series, where we have been looking at the stories of some of our very own who call Mount Zion home, and we are looking at how their story parallels that of the scripture and how we can take our stories, and how we can see how it plays into the greater narrative of the kingdom of God. Over and over during this series, I have had people sit down and say to me, I, it is amazing. It's, it's, I mean, it's, it's so amazing how everybody's story seems to be my story. And that is a universal truth because the reality is that what binds us and what weaves us all together is this reality that we are all broken, that we all have struggles. Jesus never, ever promises us a suffering-free life here on earth. And that is what Dave is here to share a little about his story today in 2021. Dave was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. He was given a less than 10% chance of actually making it to the life-saving surgery. So Dave, share with us your story. All right, am am I live? Y'all can hear me? Okay. Uh, The first service when I gave this, I blew it. I spent the whole 10 minutes talking about when I got saved which is the greatest miracle for me that ever happened. So I'm just going to spend, if, if Luke will allow, I'm going to spend a real short amount of time on that, and then I'll talk about my sickness and, and uh, I hope my healing. So I didn't get saved until I was 28 years old. So I had plenty of time by that time to accumulate the works of the flesh and uh, plenty of time for some sowing and reaping to uh, become due to me. So uh, anyways, right before I got saved, I had a chance to experience some of that sowing and reaping. And if you ever wonder about that saying, what goes around comes around, uh, that's a country way of saying what God says, that what you sow, you shall also reap. And I got a chance to taste some of that when I was about uh, 27. And uh, it tasted terrible. And I knew, I knew it was uh, what I had been dealing out was coming back to me. It was in the mountains of Virginia. I was going to show all the mountain men how to cut pulpwood, and uh, I lost my business, and everything went bad. Long story short, though. After that, I was driving up Interstate 81. I'm watching the clock because I ran over last time. <laughs> driving up Interstate 81 in Virginia one time, and uh, back then on Sunday morning, They used to have different laws and things. They wouldn't put anything but preaching on and Christian music on Sunday morning. I hated it. So that's what I'd I'd have to listen to something. So I'd listen to a sermon or whatever. And uh, anyway, I was driving up and uh, I was listening to uh, that song, Why Me, Lord? Chris Christopherson. And uh, and, uh, I cried out to the Lord and 
I cried tears, and uh, I was going right past a rock where all the college kids used to write their year on when they graduated on the side of 81. All the Blacksburg, Virginia Tech kids used to climb up there and mount it. I remember where I was, and I always call that the rock of my salvation when I go by there now. And uh, anyway, after that, uh, I prayed over and over again. I didn't know any better. I prayed over and over again with the 700 Club, the sinner's prayer every night. I thought it felt so good to, to uh, keep doing it and doing it. And uh, nobody told me to just write the date in the Bible and that you're already saved. So uh, the Holy Spirit one time showed me I was getting ready to get in my car, and uh, I remember right now, I was standing in the snow, had a cast on up to here, broken three places, my leg was, and uh, I remember right now, I was getting ready to get in that car, and I remember John 6:37, if any man comes unto me, I'll no wise cast out. And I thought about looking forward to praying that sinner's prayer every night for about the last three months, and I thought, well, if anybody's ever come to him, it was me. I might come crying and begging every night over and over again, but I've come, so that means I'm his. He said he won't cast me out, so uh, uh, I, I didn't do that anymore after that. I, I knew I was his, and he was mine. Okay, I'm at five minute mark. I made it, Luke. <laughs> okay, so now uh, a little something about my journey and uh, about how wonderful Everyone has been praying for me. It's, it's unbelievable. It's so humbling. So I got diagnosed with pancreas cancer. Uh, first, everything uh, didn't taste right, and I was losing weight, and it's because nothing I couldn't eat. Nothing tasted right to eat. And then I had low back pain, and that's, those two together are supposed to let any health professional know that that's pancreas cancer. But I went to one specialist for my back, and all he was doing is back x-rays and things. And then I went to another specialist about my other situation. And so they didn't put it together. Anyway, long story short, it advanced and it grew. And uh, finally, the cancer was spread to these two veins on top of my pancreas. It, it overgrew my pancreas and it was strangling two veins there. And they said that was the biggest problem, more than the pancreas cancer itself. So it took a year of chemo, all the chemo I could stand, and I mean all I could stand. Uh, chemo makes you sick, some of you might know. Most of you all are young, and maybe you don't know, but uh, if you ever have it, chemo makes you sick, and uh, it did me, and radiation makes you sick also, so I uh, had all I could stand, and the way they know that is your platelet counts don't recover. They test your blood in between about every other uh, chemo treatment, and then when your platelet counts aren't recovering, they know they have to stop it for a while. So uh, anyway, so I had all the, all the chemo I could stand, then I had all the radiation I could stand, and the same thing, they had to stop my radiation in the middle, let my platelets come back. And uh, anyway, finally I got a call on the way home one time from my oncologist, uh, Dr. McCormick, and he had excitement in his voice. He said, Dave, he never called me when I was driving down the road. He called me, he said, Dave, I, uh, I got some good news. Uh, the, the surgeon says he thinks it's uh, shrunk enough that he can do the surgery. I said, wow, you gotta be kidding. And uh, that's big news. And then uh, it wasn't long after that was the surgeon called uh, 
and said, uh, Dave, I got some surprising news. I had a cancellation for Thursday. Would you like to take that opening? And uh, I said, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, I sure don't. Uh, I said, we, we have a beach trip planned. We just won't be available. And, and we did. I had a three-day thing with uh, Diane at the beach that we had planned a long time. But anyway, uh, so I wasn't mentally ready for surgery and didn't. That was supposed to be so glad that it was time for surgery. Well, I, w I wasn't. I was, but I wasn't. So uh, during my prayer life during this uh, year journey or whatever, uh, in the beginning, I prayed and prayed and prayed. You know, Lord, heal me. Lord, heal me. Lord, heal me. And after a while, my own prayers just became kind of sickening to me about that, how selfish they were. And uh, anyway, so I just started praying for others instead. And as so many people said, and I knew they were, they were sincere that they were praying for me. And that convicted me so much of my own prayer life, how, it, how shallow it had been that strangers would come up and tell me they were praying for me every night. And I knew they meant it. So, uh, that, no, I'm not saying, I'm not saying God gave me pancreas cancer so that I'd have a more serious prayer life. No, he didn't. But God works all things together for good. For them called according to his purpose and that's me and he did work something for good in that and then i do have a serious i'm not bragging about a course but i do have a serious prayer time in the middle of the night every night when uh, some of you get old like me you'll find out you're up you're up in the middle of the night there's a certain reason you'll get up in the middle of the night and uh so about my my second time up I, I go out on the couch and I have some time and uh, I got a few people that are on that list every time and uh, it's great to be undistracted in your prayer time with God and the most important thing I think about uh, being healed is and, and having good days like I'm having right now is um, how thankful we should be when we have good days because they're not going to last forever. Even I asked, asked my son Henry, I said, pray for something specific. Hezekiah asked for 15 more years. God granted it to him. He doesn't grant it to everybody. I said, if you're going to pray for me, pray for that. Give, Lord, give him 15 more years. If he gives it to me, we'll have some great days together. But I'm so thankful for everybody's prayers here. And uh, I'm unworthy of them, but I thank you all for them. Hey, can we show Dave our sincere appreciation? When Dave was first diagnosed, he had a choice. Either he could lean into the fear that was naturally trying to take hold or he could gravitate and run and take hold of the scripture. So he called me one day, and I'll never forget this call, and he said, Luke, he said, is there any way that you can pull a group of elders together, and would you mind uh, praying over me and anointing me and praying for healing? And I said, David, be, be our great honor. So we did that, we pulled him in. And that's exactly what scripture says. Call upon the elders, and let them anoint you with oil, and let them pray for God's supernatural healing.
What we often leave out in that scripture is the first part. Before doing so, confess your sins. Dave is one of the few people who have walked into my office seeking prayer for healing who actually followed that of the scripture. So before he did, he confessed. Confessed that his struggles and his sin. And we as confessors, we listened to them. We accepted them, we advised, and then we prayed, and then we anointed. Which leads us to this question. Suffering is universal. We all know that all too well. So how do we handle impossible things in life? Now you may say, Luke, things aren't that bad. Things are actually pretty good. Well, I did a little research for you. All right, you're gonna be glad. You're gonna be glad you came to the house of the Lord today. Let's talk about inflation. Gas prices up twenty percent. Meat up nine percent. Milk is up fifteen percent. Coffee, <laughs> coffee is up three point five percent. Cereals up fifteen percent. Fruits and vegetables up nine point three percent. Eggs are up forty six percent. Baby food up fifteen percent. Airfare up twenty seven percent. Insurance is up. Retirement. It is down. Stock market, it is down. Housing market, it is up, but it's unstable. Interest rates are up. National debt is $31 trillion. All that to say, each and every one of us in this room have experienced over the past year financial reversal. Many of us in this room has experienced health betrayal. Our bodies have turned on us. We've received the diagnosis. We're getting older. The things that once were easy are now, are now difficult. A loved one, our friend, has passed away and we have grieved that loss. And many of us in this room, we have experienced relational dysfunction. Somebody has betrayed us. Somebody didn't keep their word, did not keep their covenant. We had that friend who always stood in the gap. They actually stabbed us in the back this time. So how do we handle hard to impossible things? Well, God's word has something to say about that. So if you will, will you join me in Luke, his gospel, chapter eight. Luke, chapter eight, and we're gonna pick up in verse 40. Luke, chapter eight, beginning in verse 40. On the other side of the lake, the crowds welcomed Jesus because they had been waiting for him. And then a man named Jairus, a leader of the local synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come home with him. His only daughter, who was about 12 years old, she was dying. As Jesus went with him, he was surrounded by the crowds, and as a woman in the crowd, she had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding, and she could not find a cure. Coming up behind Jesus, she touched the fringe of his robe, and immediately the bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. And everyone denied it, and Peter said, Master, the whole crowd, it is pressing against you. So let's, let's paint the picture. Let's, let's get our heart and let's get our mind where this story has led us. Jairus, he is a public official. He is well known. He, people 
when they hear or when they see Jairus walk down the road, they naturally are envious of his life. Seems to be picture perfect. He is known. He has great reputation. He has a great job. He has resources. Seems like everything always for Jairus is up and to the right. But like everyone, he has a private battle And we've all heard the adage that a parent is only as happy as their unhappiest child. And Jairus has a 12-year-old girl at home, and she's dying. She's sick. His network, his resources, his finances, open doors, none of that has led to healing, resolve. He's at his wit's end. He doesn't know what to do. And then you have this woman who, she's the opposite. She's outcast. She's always outside looking in. She has no more resources. She's spent it all. And because of the nature of her dis-ease, people won't invite her in because culturally, She cannot be accepted. See, 12 years of life, it's too short to die. 12 years of suffering, that's too long to suffer. So Jesus asked this question, who touched me? You see, when you are supernatural and you create the natural, for healing to take place, it has to come from the supernatural to and through the natural. So when scripture says you you call upon the elders, have them anoint your head with oil, it is not the elder. It's not the prayer. It's not the anointing oil. Jesus Christ is the supernatural source of healing. He and he alone. Jesus Christ has the power supernaturally to heal that that is natural. So Luke chapter 8, 46 says, but Jesus said, someone deliberately This word translated, it is expected, which beckons the question, if universally we all suffer, if universally everyone within the sound of my voice, we all need healing, maybe it's physical, maybe it's spiritual, maybe it's relational, maybe it's emotional. When you entered into this place, Coming before the supernatural healer, are you expecting to be healed? It reminds me of the man when when John and Peter are entering into the temple. He's begging for money. Someone carried him beside the gate that is known as beautiful, but his life was anything but. And he asked Peter, do you have money? And that's a great place to position yourself because people are more likely to give before they go into the temple because they think if they're generous, maybe God will answer their 
prayers. Or they have met with God, and as they leave, they are more generous. Peter says this, I don't have any money, but what I do have is what you need. I have Christ Jesus, the supernatural source of healing, and in the name of God, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk, and Scripture says he stood and he danced and he praised. Peter in that moment said, I will use what I have. I have Christ. That is all I need. In other words, we have no excuse. Are you expecting? Someone expectantly, deliberately touched me, verse 46. For I felt the healing power go out of me, leaving the supernatural, entering into that that is natural. When the woman realized that she could not stay hidden, she began to tremble and fell to her knees in front of him. And the whole crowd heard her explain why she had touched him and that she had been immediately healed. Daughter, he said, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Verse 49. And while he was still speaking to her, a messenger arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue, and he told her, your daughter is dead. So there's no use in troubling the teacher now. But when Jesus heard what had happened, he said to Jairus, don't be afraid, have faith, she will be healed. But Jesus is leaning into this moment. He is reminding Jairus and he is reminding you and I, do not allow someone else to steal or hinder your faith. The woman had to fight through the crowd to receive that that God desired for her. The doctor told Dave, I don't know if it's gonna work. I mean, you have 10% chance of making it to surgery. Don't allow the naysayers to detract, distract, hinder, steal, rob, destroy, compromise your faith. Why? Because a doctor may be the hands that God uses, the conduit. The surgeon may be the conduit. The praying elder may be the conduit. The treatment, the medicine, it may be the conduit. But Jesus is the healer. So when I take my kids to see Dr. Ed Reedy, it is his job to be obedient and be faithful, to provide healing through submission, seeking God's mind and his heart. And my job as dad is to pray for Ed Reedy, that God will use him as an instrument of healing here on earth. Many of us desire healing, <laughs> but we will not go through the process that God provides healing. Many of us, we want a cure for our anxiety or for our depression. God's saying, I've provided that through well-trained minds and guidance and wisdom and medications at times. 
I used to struggle with the story with the man. He laid by the pool and he was crippled. And Jesus had the audacity. Do you want to be healed? Of course he does. No one wants to sit in their misery. No one wants to sit in their agony. No one wants to sit in that mess. But you live enough life and you realize some people, they only know what they know. And they've given up because people have given up on them. And they don't want to be healed. Do you want to be? Let's have the whole conversation. What about when God says, not now, not yet? What do we do in those moments? Let's have the whole conversation. We'll come back. Let's, let's have the conversation. Can we have the conversation? A few weeks ago, I, I was speaking in Indiana, and the, the guy that introduced me, I, I've had a relationship with him for about 25 years, so we're friends, and we're always trying to get one over on the other. So when he introduced me, he said, you know, we're so thankful to have Pastor Luke from North Carolina. You know, Luke and I, he got in early and we actually did some ministry together and we went and visited Miss Jones today. Luke hadn't eaten lunch. He'd been traveling all day. He had a quick layover in Philadelphia. So he came straight here and, and I was on my way to visit because she needed a visit. She asked for a visit. We didn't have time. So I just said, Luke, will you go with me? And he was he was so kind and so polite, and he said, yeah. So we sat in Mrs. Jones' living room. She had a bowl of peanuts beside the chair that he was sitting, so he began to eat the peanuts. He was starving. He hadn't had lunch. He had not had dinner. By the end of the visit, he had eaten every single peanut. So I looked at Miss Jones. This was Wes speaking to the, to the congregation. I, I looked at Miss Jones and said, hey, Luke ate all your peanuts. I'm so sorry. He didn't have any lunch, he didn't have any dinner. When I come back, I'm gonna replenish your peanuts, I'm gonna bring you some peanuts. And she said, oh, don't worry about it. Since I lost my teeth, all I can do is just suck off all the chocolate. <laughs> it was a lie. That wasn't true. He just, he just said it to ruin my life and then I had to step into it. And all week long, people kept saying, hey, how was Mrs. Jones's peanuts? And I'm like, it's a lie, it's not true. I was left that week, I spent time that week defending a lie. Have you ever bought anything from an infomercial? Couldn't sleep at night, flipping through the channels. I did. When I was in seminary, Chuck Norris, he looks like an honest man. <laughs> Are you tired of devices overpromising and underperforming? Are you tired of the flab and desire six-pack abs? Do you want chiseled muscles? Total gym is your answer. Looks good. Chuck Norris was a man that I, that I admired. So we bought it. And we moved that thing into our 400 square room, our square foot apartment in seminary. And that thing was a piece of junk. All I did was suffered. Because infomercials, they have a tendency to overpromise and underdeliver. And oftentimes in the church, in regard to healing, this is how we position Jesus to people seeking and needing and desiring healing. 
if you just have the faith of a mustard seed. If you will do right, live right, then Jesus will heal you. You see, we, we overpromise. And when Jesus doesn't provide healing the way that we think he should or prayed for, people walk away from their faith and they say, well, either he's not good or he's not real. You see, when we believe in that infomercial type of Jesus or faith, it is a God that we created. It is not the God that created us. And when we worship a God we created, it will always let us down. It will always underperform. We will always walk away. You see, this is why I think oftentimes young adults walk away from their faith between 18 and 25 because of the church and parents, well-meaning. They have created a God in the lives of those young adults that they created. They're not having the hard truth stories of the gospel. They're not telling the story of Jairus. You see, Jesus is the healer. But I want you to notice that every time Jesus healed here on earth, that individual was healed 100% of the time. 100% of the time, Jesus healed them. But healing here on earth was always temporary. Everyone that Jesus healed eventually died because Jesus never promised any of us a suffering-free life. How can we expect a suffering-free life from a Christ, from a God, from a Jesus that suffered here on earth? In other words, Jesus never promised healing here on earth. He promised healing in heaven for all of eternity. We are to go to him, and we are to plead, and we are to beg that he would provide healing here, now. But then we understand and we don't lose hope as that that has no hope because our hope is not in the temporary, it is in that of the eternal. My uncle was 43 years old when he died of cancer. When you're my age, that's really young. In our family, in our church, we gathered beside his bedside and we prayed and we believed that he would be healed. And God said, not now, not yet. And make no mistake about it, God did heal him. He just healed him in eternity. And I promise you, if I could see Tim today and say, Tim, come see us, he'd say, no, no, no. You come see me. You come see me. Sometimes God says, not now, not yet. Paul specifically prayed for healing, but God said to him, not now, not yet. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses eight through nine. Three different times I begged and pleaded the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. 
My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can be and work through me. He pleaded, he begged, and God said, not now, not yet, but Paul, I will not leave you alone. I will not stand on the other side of the valley. You are not alone. I will walk with you every step of the way, and I will surround you with community who will encourage, who will build up, who will advise wisely so that you can do holy, right, good, and wise things. You see, Jesus says, by my stripes, you are healed. This is speaking spiritually, not physically, meaning that when we breathe our last breath here on earth, no matter 12 years of suffering or 12 years, short years of age, Jesus provides healing spiritually through eternity with him. He is always good to his promise. And he says, I will be with you. I will give you supernatural strength. You see, I don't need God's strength in seasons of feast. I need God's strength in seasons of famine. And in my weakness, may he be known. You see, God never promised a suffering-free life on earth. He promised a suffering-free eternity in heaven. Revelation chapter 21 says, verse three through four says, and I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eye and there will be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain for all these things are gone forever. You see, it is your responsibility. You plead, you pray for healing physically, emotionally, spiritually, relationally. And you desire healing. It is God's power. It is your cooperation. You take the necessary steps to seek and to walk in the healing promises that God provides. And then you never lose hope. You never lose hope and the promise of eternity because you pray, God, give me strength to do wise, smart, holy, and good things, even though my circumstances and my condition are not good. I wanna read you some words that I wrote down last night. John Maxwell has said, everything worthwhile is uphill and it's uphill for everyone. Often we know this, but we choose to do the downhill easy things more than the uphill hard things. The unwise, stupid, unhealthy, unholy things. We know the truth, but we lack the strength to crawl out of the dysfunction and do the wise uphill things. We know the truth, but we choose not to live the truth. We can know that spending less than we make is the key to financial health. But if we don't have the strength to do so, we will be in financial hell. We know that porn will destroy our sex life and our soul. But if we don't have the strength to admit it and battle it, we will self-destruct. If we know that selflessness 
will destroy, or selfishness will destroy our marriage and selflessness builds our marriage. But we don't have the strength to get past ourselves and constantly put the needs of our spouse before our own. Our marriage will be miserable. If we know that real men keep their word, but we continually excuse ourselves, our lives will eventually collapse. The strength to do wise, healthy, good, and holy things is what makes the difference. The strength to do it makes the difference. God, give me the strength to do wise, smart, holy, good things. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Each and every one of us needs healing of some sort. How do you know, Luke? Because suffering is universal. For some in this room, it is a relational healing that you desire. Your marriage, your friendships, your relationships with your parents, your relationship with your children. Some of us need to seek, to step into God's power, our cooperation. We need to seek healing this day relationally. For some of us, it's, it's spiritually. Our relationship with God is not where it needs to be. And before we get that right, nothing else will be right. We will always have a distorted view we will always be going downhill. For some of us, it's, it's emotional. We're grieving. The anxiety, the depression, there's this ominous dark cloud always over us or just over the horizon. We feel like we're failing as mom, as dad, as son, as daughter. God help us, we cannot seem to make the right thing. We spend all of our time, all of our energy trying to make that person happy instead of doing the right, the wise, the good and the holy things. We have become distracted. Some of us this morning, we are facing a spiritual physical, emotional, or relational. For some of us, it is that physical. We have received the diagnosis. The doctors have done everything they can. Or we're just in constant, constant pain, constant headaches. There is a thorn in our flesh and it is hindering us from our best from the life that God has for us. No matter where you are this morning, Scripture says you go to the elders and you seek healing, requesting, prayer, confessing that that is not of God, that it is in you. So I'm going to ask now that our prayer altar counselors come forward and we're going to end this morning in a little bit of a different way. 
We are going to invite you where you are to be healed, to walk in that promise. And if God says, not now, not yet, that is not your call to make. It is your call to come before a holy, righteous, good Father and plead and beg for healing. So find one of these men or these women and you join them and allow them to anoint you and allow them to pray over you, joining all of heaven, joining in the desires of God, the good Father, and pray for healing. So we're going to worship. We're going to pray. So in the closing moments, may you be found faithful If you want to stand as we worship, you can stand. If you want to kneel, make where you sit an altar, do so. And if you want to come forward seeking healing, then you come now. Come now. Thanks for listening to the Mount Zion Wesleyan Church podcast. We hope this message has inspired you to take a next step in your walk with Jesus. For more messages or to watch our full worship gathering on demand, visit us online at mountzionwesleyan.com.